0: Backroom Politics. And good afternoon out there in Radio Land. It is Tuesday, which means it is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio from a remote uh, from broadcasting location. I am your host and moderator, Justin Russell. I am broadcasting to you from the Garden State of New Jersey. Joining me as they do every Tuesday, I believe we have... The man that we know as the Honorable Alan Moore. Alan, are you on?
2: I'm on, yes, sir.
0: Uh, welcome, Alan. And uh, we've uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Obviously, um, this is a sad day. Uh, I'm going to start off, and we're going to we're going to come back to this subject uh, towards the end of the show in the last segment. I want to spend some time on it, but this is a uh, this is a rough day for uh uh here us here at Backroom Politics. Um, over the weekend we were uh notified that uh our our co creator, the, the one of the one of the key figures that created this show
1: and uh
0: a a true friend and a true mentor, uh Congressman Al Swift, passed away at his home in Alexandria at the age of eighty two.
1: Um
0: uh it we're we're still we're still mourning this one. We're still feeling a lot of pain on this one and it's uh it's gonna hurt for a while. He's gonna be very much missed. But in the last segment, in the last half hour of the show today, we're gonna spend some time going over uh going over our experiences with Al Swift, talking about the man, talking about what he helped create in the show and why he loved it so much. But anyway, we've got real political news to talk about. Uh We've, we've got a lot to talk about as far as nominations go. The president's having a bad week when it comes to his nominations for Secretary of State and for Veterans Affairs. Let's start with the interesting, the interesting day that started. It looked like it might be a bad week for uh, current Director of Central Intelligence, former Congressman Mike Pompeo, Mike Pompeo was nominated by the president to take over for the fired Rex Tillerson. And Mike Pompeo is gone in front of the Senate Committee, the Senate Foreign Affairs Committee, and it appeared like he may have been the first Secretary of State nominee in history to come out of committee with a negative vote and still get the job. Well, fast forward to yesterday. In kind of a surprise, the Senate Foreign Affairs Committee passed a favorable vote on now Secretary of State nominee Mike Pompeo. The big shock was number one uh, Rand Paul, who had continuously said that he would vote no for Mike Pompeo for Secretary of State in the committee, changed his vote after a discussion with both Pompeo and Donald Trump in Changed his vote to yes, so that made for interesting figures. On top of the fact that uh, Delaware Senator and Foreign uh, and Foreign Affairs Committee uh, uh, Senator Corder instead of voting no, voted present, Senator Coons rather, in a very interesting turn of events there, as a favor to another member of the committee. So let's talk about this Pompeo situation for right now. Uh, number one. Alan, are you are you are you shocked that in fact Mike Pompeo came out with a favorable vote from committee after all the rhetoric we heard going up even to the last minute?
2: No, about a week ago, um, Rand Paul said that uh, the president had asked him, Paul, to please have a meet uh, a meeting with Pompeo, um, which Paul had previously uh, uh, declined to do. And 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 urged him to keep an open mind. And Paul said, as as a courtesy to the president uh, and to the candidate, I will meet with them. But I must say, it it would be a very high bar uh, for me to meet to change my vote. That was a signal of sorts. And it's not the first time that Rand Paul has been in a situation where he said that he was going to to have a particular view on something. Uh, And he doesn't he doesn't switch easily, but it's not surprising that he switches and he got he got some concessions of sort uh, of a sort from pompeo um the primarily one uh uh in which pompeo has said that he he now does acknowledge that the invasion of Iraq was a mistake. He had resisted previously, Pompeo had, and apparently is now prepared to say, yes, it was a mistake. Um, I don't know what to make of all of that. Anyway, it 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 didn't. It, what was going to happen? What was going to happen if the committee had voted uh, against um uh pompeo the, the, the vote would have been 11 to 10 against more on that in a moment um it was in 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 and paul flipped in making it in effect 11 to 10 uh in favor the the republicans have a right. one vote majority on every on every committee because the senate is so uh closely divided um and uh but even if it had been a negative recommendation from the committee. Um, It looked as though there were a a couple of Democrats who were going to support him, and it looked like all the other Republicans would support Pompeo, and he would eke out a victory. This just made it easier, and it made made it easier to have it happen sooner. The optics were better. The the outcome, I don't think, was changed.
0: Admiral Ken Carradine joins us on the line as well. Admiral Ken, let me ask you, was this Kabuki dance really necessary? Was this Rand Paul literally strutting his power and saying, look, you know, I can either be the hero of the day or I'm going to be the greatest villain, but you're either way, you're going to have to deal with me. Was this Kabuki dance really necessary? Does Ron Paul or, or Does Rand Paul really have that kind of stroke to hold this stuff in check with the president. Admiral Ken. I thought we lost. Okay, we might have lost Admiral Ken. Uh, Alan Moore, I'll go to question to you on that one.
2: No, I, I mean, as I said before, Rand Paul has done this kind of thing in the past. He He's a little different from some members. Um, uh, Jeff Flake, for example, said don't count on him, don't count on him, don't count on him. And then yesterday said he, he expects now to vote for Pompeo. Paul very early on got out and said, I'm not going to vote for him. Don't count on me. I'm not going to vote for him. Um, and then it came back around. Let me explain, though, what happened with Chris Coons. So you've got 21 members of the committee, 11 Republicans, 10 Democrats. They're in this session. They're all present with one exception, Johnny Isakson, Republic Republican of Georgia, Uh, has left a proxy saying that he will vote for uh, Pompeo, but he's not present. He is giving a eulogy yesterday down in Georgia for his closest personal friend. So, uh, uh, you know, a very kind of unique, special uh, moment. Um, Now, under Senate rules, you'd not only have to get a majority, in this case 1110, but a majority of those present and voting Have to vote in the affirmative. What they were faced with, because Isaacson wasn't there, was a ten to ten stalemate. Isaacson's position was clear. The proxy was there, but it it bumped up against Senate rules. And what the committee was saying was, under Chairman Bob Corker, look, we need to get this done so that he can hopefully be confirmed and go to a NATO ministers meeting. We will be back here tonight if we have to be at 11 o'clock or whenever isaacson gets here so that we can comply with senate rules but get this done and and coons who's a who's a good friend of isaacson there's a lot of friendships across the aisle particularly in the senate they're just not very visible coons stepped up in in something of a statesmanlike move because it gets confusing well what was coons doing and he said look I oppose Pompeo's uh, nomination. I am recorded against him. But in order as a, as, a, uh, as a gesture to my friend and to the committee, because we know the outcome, I am going to record myself as present. So it suddenly became a, uh, a 10 to 9 vote with one present rather than 10 to 10. That's what that whole business was about. And it didn't change the outcome. But that was uh, that was what occurred. Right.
0: Let me try, uh, Admiral Ken. Are you back on with us, Admiral Ken? How about Dan Lipner?
3: I am indeed here.
0: Dan Lipner joins us, Dan Lipner Esquire. Dan, let me ask you: when we um, when we look at uh, the kind of change of events that we've seen past 24 hours when it comes to Mike Pompeo is is this more the senate again flexing their muscles including some democrats or uh are we starting are we are we literally giving credibility to Mike Pompeo as the next secretary of state which it looks like
3: he'll be I mean it's a bit harder than that so the president is entitled within reason to appoint people to work for him to be members of the cabinet, and these are immensely powerful positions. And Pompeo uh, comes with some challenges. And uh, the most interesting vote, uh, well, I I came in while talking about the Coons switching his vote to present, which uh, I think is a a larger category for topic of the weekend uh, to today of the – Signs of decency in politics uh, here and there, and that was that was one of them. Uh, that uh, what Rand Paul's uh, shift in vote, which is a bit more perplexing to me, uh, and we'll we'll see. And I mean Heidi Heitkamp has already said she's going to be voting for him. Uh, obviously, things can change before a floor vote, but it looks like he's going to be the next Secretary of State unless something else. Uh, jumps
0: in the way the, the, I mean let me ask you this question then Dan the, is that something that should concern us I mean he's not exactly John Bolton but he's not exactly a quote unquote adult in the room like uh, Secretary Jim Mattis at defense is, 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 is he somebody that could have adult like qualities in the room when dealing with national security issues for the president
3: I mean, he could rise to the occasion. I mean, uh, thus far, the North Korea stuff uh, with his his uh, not so secret se- secret trip. Um, thanks to the president's confirmation of the trip, if that leads to you know an actual treaty of sorts, or or better yet, a, a actual end to the Korean War. Hey, that's an impressive thing. I. I'm highly suspicious of it occurring, but sometimes people do rise to the occasion and interesting things happen.
0: Well, let's talk about, let's talk about that secret trip because that kind of came out at a very odd time. Alan Moore, was, was it smart to release the information, in fact, that Mike Pompeo, as director of Central Intelligence, had in fact gone to a meeting and had a meeting with Kim Jong-un in Pyongyang? Does Is that a smart move as far as making him the next Secretary of State, or could that have been a time bomb?
2: No, I think it was a uh, uh, a low-risk, significant-gain piece of information. It it enhanced his credibility. Um, uh, He was able to go over there, apparently meet with Kim himself and, and others, and begin to lay the groundwork. This is how these meetings are done you don't not i mean i shouldn't i shouldn't say that this is the cliff notes version of how these meetings are done normally these things take a year and you've got all sorts of people and paper and movement back and forth but at least it's something and it was all uh by uh, by pompeo so it, it enhanced his credibility and i think it also improves the chance that there 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 could be a productive meeting i don't know whether there really will be or not i don't <laughs> I don't see any great reason to to trust uh uh Kim on the one hand, on the other hand, we if we don't talk to him, then we got to we got to send uh, ugly tweets or uh or have some kind of military confrontation. So so I think it was kind of a twofer. It it, it showed the world uh, uh, as well, America as well as the rest of the world that we're actually laying some serious groundwork for some kind of a meeting here and it enhanced Pompeo. I'll, I'll remind everybody about Pompeo we're kind of patronizingly talking about how he might rise to the occasion, which is interesting. He got 66 votes to be head of CIA by, by all accounts. He's done a, a decent job there and more importantly um from the from some of us worrying about our government he has established uh, a level of trust with uh, this president that's highly highly unusual tellerson never had it almost nobody has it mcmaster didn't have it maybe flynn had it and we know what happened how we know how that blew up but pompeo gave met with the president every morning and gave him a daily brief and figured out how to talk to a man with a notoriously short attention span. And so I think he's a a very good choice myself.
0: Alan, let me interrupt real quick because I want to ask you a question. Was Mike Pompeo, was the way that this confirmation and his nomination for Secretary of State, was that handled poorly and he just got lucky or was this a series of events that would have played out in his favor, regardless?
2: Oh, you mean him getting confirmed?
0: Well, I the, mean, the Rand Paul to me... Thing?
2: I mean, I, look, well, I the, mean, the, Democrats, me the Democrats are looking for any way that they can. I can't say that I blame them.
1: Test, to, one, two, to three. Take,
2: to take shots at the president um, they don't have many opportunities, so here's a the chance. They don't like his foreign policy. Uh, Tillerson's gone. There was no love for Tillerson uh, among the Democrats and, and a fair amount of other observers uh, until he was unceremoniously uh, uh, dumped, and then suddenly he he got this sympathy vote. Um, and that, I'm not saying that uh, regarding my own feelings about Tillerson. It's just that he 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 turned out to to have a lot of shortcomings. Uh, as secretary of state um here's pompeo who gets along with the president who's who's uh who's been in in congress ran the cia um no huge issues or problems there that i'm aware of so in, in terms of the kinds of people that that the president might have available to him that he could pick that he could get along with uh pompeo had several things going for him um But the Democrats now are not about to, uh, in general, uh, give the president any room on anything. It looks now as though four or five Democrats will actually vote for him. And I think it was known that he was going to get a couple of votes. So we didn't really need Rand Paul. It's kind of embarrassing if you can't report it out of the committee um, and it slows it down a little bit when you're in a rush. But I think this was going to happen. Uh, one Dan, way or the other, to, because we've got three, go to, three senators go to, already who've said they'll vote for him.
0: Let me go to Dan Littner. Dan Littner, uh, did Mike Pompeo get lucky?
3: No, I mean, I, I don't think he was as toxic as as uh, some of the claims. So I don't know if it's it's less luck than we need a secretary of state. No, very good.
0: Well, you know what? Uh, Joining us on the line right now, I think we've got him back, Admiral Ken. Admiral Ken, yon.
1: I hope so. Can you hear me?
4: We can hear you.
0: Hey, you know, Admiral Ken, uh, the president has had a very rough 24 hours with his nominee to be the next secretary of Veterans Affairs, that being one, Rear Admiral uh, Ronnie Jackson. We were Admiral Jackson uh, today was up on the hill trying to uh, kind of get on a charm offensive for his uh, for his latest uh, efforts for confirmation, but it looks like he may now have a problem. The New York Times has reported, and NBC News has confirmed that there are several uh, members of the the Senate committee that is in charge of the confirmation hearing, and uh, both the chairman and the ranking member have said that they're going to postpone the hearing that was scheduled for Thursday until the call of the chair, which means that this has been put on indefinite suspension. What does that mean? Well, it means that, in fact, that Rear Admiral, uh, uh, Rear Admiral Jackson's confirmation is in serious trouble. However... The president today, as late as today, during a press conference, a joint press conference with French President Macron in the room, was asked about him, and he said, uh, he basically came out with a story that said, hey, you know what, you don't need this, why do you need this? But I will back you, if you want to go forward, I will back you, but don't feel like you have to do it. Uh, Admiral Ken, you've been very critical of... Uh, Rear Admiral Jackson's nomination and the way this has been handled in total, why?
1: Well, so there's there's two parts to this. So let's talk about the nomination piece first, and then we'll talk about these allegations uh, that are being uh, uh, checked out by members of Congress. So uh, I I have gone on record as saying that uh, while Admiral Jackson has had a very distinguished career, And a career that any Navy officer should be proud of, that culminated in his promotion to two star rank, Um, he is not the right guy. Um, I think that his selection uh, has more to do with the president's ignorance of um, the fact that an admiral in the Navy is not, not all admirals in the Navy are created the same. Uh, And two, uh, I think uh, to some effect, because Admiral Jackson gave a a stunning, uh, um, presentation of, uh, his, his, um, um, examination of the president, uh, president's fitness for office from a health perspective. Uh, I think those two components uh, play into it dramatically. Uh, I have gone on record because I think in Admiral Jackson's case, he has not, um, had a body of work that has prepared him adequately to lead the second largest, um, um I guess, organization in the federal government, uh, one that has been plagued with uh, a number of scandals, uh, one that, in, that, that uh, culminated in the dismissal of, um, uh, for, for lack of uh, a good, good uh, leadership, the dismissal of uh, General Shinseki and the recent dismissal of a, of a VA chief because he decided to go on a holiday on the government's dime. He's he's not a bad man. And uh, I ran into some people the other night in Washington, D.C., because it is a very small place uh, that are friends of his son, who is a midshipman at the Naval Academy. Uh, I go on record as saying Admiral Jackson is 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 a good guy. He's just not the right guy for that job. Um, with regard to the allegations that have been uh, late, um, uh, I guess, started to come out the news about him. um when you're selected for promotion to flag rank, an extensive background check is done on you. They go back and they look at everything. they look at all of your evaluations, they look at any kind of uh, complaints that were filed against you and and, and unfortunately, the dirty little secret in the Navy right now is when that happens, you are assumed guilty until you can prove yourself innocent. I know this because I went through this uh, prior to my uh, promotion to, uh, to to Rear Admiral. And then once you are cleared of that, um, you are allowed to put on the rank, uh, get promoted, and move on from there. So if these allegations took uh, – if these things uh, are alleged to have taken place before he made flag rank, um, they were reinvestigated again before he was promoted. If they took place afterwards, well, that's a different story, and I guess we have to find out you know, what the timing of these events are. But the bottom line is this. Um, as you go up in rank – uh, and Justin, you know this, as you go up in rank, the opportunity for you to uh, to offend people um, uh, goes up uh, uh, in, in direct proportion. And the unfortunate truth of the matter is in these days, thanks to social media, thanks to the ability to, to fire off an email or get five minutes in front of a camera or maybe even less, um, sometimes uh, we're just a little bit more. Uh, heavy-handed in our justice than than we should be. But again, uh, I suspect that what what you're seeing now is um, what I predict uh, would happen in the article, that you're going to take a good guy who's done good work for his country, and he is going to be excoriated in public because he is not the right guy for the job. And I think uh, the president should be criticized mightily for not vetting and going back and making sure, including his staff, to go in and take a look at this guy's uh, accomplishments and what jobs he's had to make sure he was ready for the job. And I, I partially fault Admiral Jackson for letting hu- hubris get in the way to not saying, you know what, well, sir, I'm not the right guy, but you know, um, but I think you should pick somebody else.
0: Dan Lipner, this, this is a, another series of just poorly handled, poorly vetted, uh, nominations that the Trump administration has put in front of the Senate is—is is this just amateur hour, or I, I mean, are are they fully convinced that well, we got you know no, nothing's going to touch these guys? We we vetted them.
3: Well, poorly vetted it uh, kind of puts a taint on the rest of the people who work at the White House because, as I understand the reporting. The president did this entirely on his own, uh, with no vetting. You just said, "I like this guy," and let's let us let us plug him in as Secretary of VA. Uh, that's an interesting approach to to governing, but it's not exactly what a responsible person would do. So, I mean, I I, I I'm with Ken. It's it you're putting somebody in a bad position. It's an, uh, the the honor of being a, appointed a Any cabinet secretary is huge. Uh, To turn it down is somewhat an affront to uh, the president. And he put this guy in a bad position because they didn't do any homework on him. So when it all comes out, because this is the biggest stage there is, and every dirty little secret is most certainly going to come out, I mean, it's, it's just irresponsible. And I think that that lies wearily at the feet of the president.
0: Alan Justin? Moore, Alan Moore. Oh, yeah, go ahead, please. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So, so first of all, you asked if this is amateur hour. This is not amateur hour. This is not amateur week. This is not amateur month. This is amateur 18 months of the of the the Trump presidency. So let's at least get that straight. Ken made a really important point though about vetting. Because there's the tendency to say no vetting was done. Well, there was clearly not enough vetting, but as Ken points out so accurately, to get promoted to rear admiral, and I think he was about to get his, his uh, second star, um, he, he goes through some some very significant vetting um, that even though it's not by the, the, the political body of the White House as it should be, this is not no vetting. This is a far cry from no vetting. Having said that, as Ken also pointed out, the higher up the chain you get, no matter where you are, whether it's in the military, in government, in the private sector, you make some enemies along the way, and you sometimes develop bad habits and suppose what what I have read about the allegations that are emerging are uh, about the admiral's actions as a manager of the fifty person or so staff of uh, of a White House. Uh, physician's office, um, and we'll, we'll, we'll learn something about this. Having said that, I, I think Ken also suggested that this guy who shows no significant experience in running a large organization um, that would be really, really, really helpful um, for uh, the person to take over the VA um, uh, is not in this guy's background it may be though that what brings him down is some some behavior and i'm not saying that it's wrong that they would be brought down but that that it's not his lack of management experience that brings him down although that certainly doesn't help him but maybe some other uh, reported stuff some some mistreatment of of underlings uh, or whatever well, but in combination Alan, let me, let me in not... combination with his basic lack of of uh, of any significant management experience and I lay it on but the president, Alan, don't okay. get me wrong. It's, it's all the president who, who, who imperiously and in the moment thought, hey, I love this guy. He looks great on camera, and he's a good doc. What the heck? Let's go with him. And no one I mean, but Alan, could, Alan you, you've,
0: yeah. been, you've, been, you've been on Senate committees. You've been part of the committee staff that has done these confirmation hearings in the past. The question that keeps coming into my mind is, you know, here is a decorated Navy admiral that's being set up for slaughter. Was there any consideration that maybe either the chairman or the ranking member gets word back to the White House saying, look, this is a really bad idea. Let's not throw this guy into the cauldron. Or is it just this is the president's wish? They. This is what they
2: get. Well, so I, one could argue that the, the, the time for that kind of signaling, the best time, is before the person's name ever surfaces. But there are worse times, which is after <laughs> he gets into the job and, it, and, and things collapse around him. I would say that although this is not good timing, this is better timing than putting the guy – into the job, like we might have done at the beginning of this administration, when we were, when when we, meaning the U.S. Senate uh, majority, was uh, uh, was confirming people, um, any number of whom were were just not up to the job that that didn't meet the standard of what we expect and and should be entitled to, um, and we don't need to name them all. Some of them are no longer with us. Um, but, and and a few still are, but, but uh, better late than never. And it looks like the late is happening now. Uh, And by the way, when we, when we say that, 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 that the hearing has been postponed subject to the call of the chair, that's a very standard kind of thing. They could say postponed until next Tuesday, but they don't know if they'll have the information they need by next Tuesday. The point is, They've asked for a bunch of information. They need to receive it. They need to review it. They need to discuss it. They need to decide out of public eye how serious it is and what they want to do with it and whether they want to go ahead. In the meantime, um, the president's remarks today were hardly the kinds of uh, all out support that a <laughs> That, that that the admiral was getting just uh, uh just recently and, when, and <laughs> sort of saying do you really want to put yourself through all of this um, is it, mm-hmm. not the kind of ringing endorsement. I, I'm guessing that there will be no hearing and that Jackson will withdraw his name. That's just my
0: hunch.
1: And, and Justin? Yeah. yeah, go ahead, Admiral Kelly. I, I I and I I apologize. I, I, I've I've been here I've been here for a moment trying to think of a better more educated way of, of, uh, of expressing myself, but I'm, I'm going to fail. Uh, so I might get the uh, family show throwdown on you. But I, I think the president, though, trying to let him out of it the way that he did was chicken shit. It was awful. And it fit right in. It fit right in with everything else that we've seen in the unprofish, unprofessional way in which this White House has dealt with many personnel issues. It was awful. I mean, putting it on him, you know, you're you're the dude, Mr. President. You're the man. You know, if you feel that you've made a mistake with an, with your nominee, then withdraw it. Have a have a ha, do a face to face, unlike what you did with uh, with Rex Tillerson. Have a face to face with this person who's seen you naked, by the way, and and tell him you're not the guy. I apologize.
4: <laughs>
0: okay, now thank you for putting that vision in our head, Admiral Ken. I, I mean, but but here's the thing: is you know, I, I and and I'm not going to throw the president under the bus necessarily. Is look. Well, I think the way the president handled it, I mean, doing it in the middle of the presser with French and American media in the East Room on his first state visit, not the best timing to say, hey, look, I talked to the guy. I said, hey, do you really need this? He's, the flippant manner that he did it, because I don't think that the president realizes how much – this could possibly affect him. I mean, this could be the difference of this guy having a really superior uh, reputation and legacy as a naval officer or being the butt of uh, political jokes at dinner parties in Georgetown. And that line is very thin. Um, I, I think that putting on him, I think this should have been an instance where, and what surprised me about this today to put on my commentary hat for a second, was literally not just 30 minutes before, hour before, the president made those comments, there's pictures of Rear Admiral Jackson walking the halls, putting on the Charm Offensive on the anticipation that he's going forward. This did not look like a guy that was given the option of, hey, do you really need this? Why don't you reconsider if I'm giving that by the president, I'm sitting there thinking I'm not going to the Hill for the charm offenses. Screw that.
3: Uh, I'm sure the Dan president me... just thought he was going to do a, a doctor-patient privilege to make sure none of that gets out.
0: <laughs> okay. Wow, Dan. You, you thought about that one, didn't you, Dan?
3: Just came to me. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm going to let that be the last word, then. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are, since we're talking about uh, the French president here in Washington, we might as well keep on that track. For those who don't know, French President Macron is in Washington for the first official state visit for the Trump administration. And it started off as you would expect any dinner party with Donald Trump. It got awkward real quick, real fast. This is Backroom Politics. Live from New Jersey, Washington, and Virginia. We'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. show, political talk show you've never heard of. This is Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio. Joining me as they do every Tuesday, we have Admiral Ken Carradine, the Honorable Alan Moore, Dan Libner Esquire, and I'm your host and moderator, Justin Russell, moderating the show from the Garden State of New Jersey. Hey, uh, our associate producer is in Washington. She has some breaking news that has been that is coming out of the Associated Press. Uh, Audrey Howerton, Associate Producer in Washington for Backroom Politics read the headline for us please
2: The Associated Press is breaking that in 2012 the Inspector General reported there was a report from the Inspector General that suggested removing VA nominee Ronnie Jackson and Rival from White House roles
0: Wow thank you very much Audrey Uh, Admiral Ken that's Going to be a huge problem for Admiral Jackson uh, if, in fact, that in 2012, at a time when he was very high regard by uh, both, you know, the the Bush and the Obamas, uh, how bad could it have been for that to happen?
1: Uh, again, I, I I I I will I will submit to you that. Um, Prior to one being selected for any flag rank, an extensive background investigation is done. These things are um, adjudicated. Either the person is not put forward for promotion or they basically have found um, whatever the findings uh, were to be not valid enough to hold them back. I would submit to you that in this case, um, that's what happened with Admiral Jackson. That they looked at it. The inspector general said one thing; it's an opinion, but the but the person who who makes a decision on whether he gets to stay is the chief of naval operations, naval operations, the chief medical officer of the navy, and, and hello, and the president of the United yep. States, and then the president of the United States, and so having gone through those the the, the those 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 three wickets. Uh, a determination was made that he was not going to get sent home, that he would be able to con- continue on in his duties and we are here now and again, as I predicted in the article uh, on, on on our on our web and in my discussions with with some of you, this is what happens okay so now we 're going to take a guy who's done good honorable service for his country, and we 're going to well up all the crap that um, has has taken place uh, in his life along the way for re-examination, this time not just by the three people who were most um, involved in directing his day-to-day duties, but by the entire American public and, and then some. And it's not right. But Admiral
0: and, Ken, Admiral Ken, Admiral Ken I, and I hear you, and, and trust me, I, I, I do not want to see a respected naval officer go down like this, let alone this publicly. But I also knowing government the way I and knowing government the way that we do have to understand that an inspector general report recommending removal from the position as physician as, as as white house physician uh the inspector general doesn't take that lightly and they're and they are an independent body they are not political at all they are literally dealing in facts uh Alan Moore, I mean, to me, for me hearing this, and again, we have not read this 2012 report. This is all just breaking out of an AP story. But for the inspector general to make that recommendation in a published government report of finding, that had to have been a fairly serious, at least, consideration of accusations against Admiral Jackson. Am I wrong?
4: (laughs) Well...
2: Uh, so I don't know what's in that report. Um uh, those are not public reports uh necessarily. Um but but uh I'll remind everybody that that he has been the White House physician for some years, including for President Obama. Um and so whatever the report was, presumably the previous administration that particular report, the previous administration certainly would have seen it and been aware exactly, of it
1: Exactly, um, exactly.
2: And 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 made and made some kind of decision at the time about its uh, seriousness and relevance to the particular role uh, that that he was uh, fulfilling in the White House. So I wouldn't get out ahead of ourselves on that particular thing. But but whatever is there is the kind of thing that would normally show up in a uh, in a in a normal White House operation. That, that does legitimate, serious, systematic uh, vetting. There have been stories in the Post about the whole White House personnel operation, about how small it is, how inexperienced it is, how young it is, how, in, by various measures, unserious it is. And, and this is perhaps – I mean, this one I can't blame on White House personnel, though – because this one was seems to have been one that the president um on a on a whim on a gut instinct uh, simply said that's the guy i want let's do it
4: Justin. um and uh, and
2: and we'll we'll <laughs> you know I, it, it it's not going well right now Justin. as i predicted earlier i don't think we will actually have that hearing um and we will not have uh uh, Ronnie Jackson as head of the VA, it's just too bad that he has to get dragged through this particular kind of mud. Um, yeah. and that the system and the president is so undisciplined as to not learn these things ahead of time and spare all of us, John not least of all this man, ben,
4: um,
1: Justin, all, hold all, on. all of this. Hold uh, on, this hold on, Admiral,
0: Ken. Admiral Ken, go ahead.
1: Justin, Admiral John Richardson is the chief, is the chief of Naval operations. Um I know I've know I know Admiral Richardson personally because he's he's one of the last guys in my class from the academy that that's still in uniform. John Richardson is a is a former nuclear submariner. The guy's jovial, uh he's engaging. But let me tell you something. John Richardson is as serious as a heart attack. There is no way in hell, there is no way in hell he would have allowed Admiral Jackson to go on to that job if there'd been uh some, some, some there there in, in that report, it just wouldn't happen. It just wouldn't happen. I mean, because the potential for that kind of egg being on his face and on the face, more importantly, on the face of the Navy, there's no way in hell. But it, it goes to the point that I was trying to make before. It goes to the point that I was trying to make before. You know, all of this stuff, all of this stuff, it, it, we shouldn't even be talking about it. This should not even be an issue because Jackson should not have been nominated in the story.
0: I mean, Admiral Kenley, just point of clarification on one thing is the Inspector General's report was is is not, uh, you know, in, in, unless it comes from the IG of A, at which time the Admiral might have said, but if this had come from the IG of the Executive Office, Chief of Naval Operations doesn't have a lot of say in how that goes down.
1: Uh, uh, I i I disagree. Other- <laughs> I completely disagree. Um, I,
0: I just gotta tell you, my understanding is is that that you know that goes down, you know that that report goes to the chief of staff and the executive branch, and it's their determination. They can say, "Hey, look, you're going back to the Pentagon, or you're going back to Bethesda."
1: Well, one, uh, I, I, one I, I disagree too. I I I would like to know which which IG because I don't think that was clear in in what Audrey in the headline Audrey it was, read. It
0: was we did, we, okay. Yeah, we don't know. And we, we, we don't know.
1: When, we don't know.
3: Regardless, regardless. So, I mean, regardless isn't also right now, worth a, a little bit of topic? Aren't professional? Aren't the professional ranks the the military doctors, military lawyers? Aren't they treated a little bit differently in all this process?
1: Uh, you know what? They 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 are, but up to a point, uh, Dan. And what I mean by that is, do they go through the same sort of initial training that uh, that the line officers go through? No. Um, do they hold the same kind of responsibilities, the level of responsibilities in the fleet that the line line officers and the supply officers do? No. But at the point at which they become flag officers, it's a whole different ball game. It's a completely okay. different
4: ball. And, and I don't
0: want to get I don't want to get too inside baseball on this one. But obviously, this is still going to be developing news that we're going to probably be talking about next week once we see a lot of this stuff come out. Uh, it's unfortunate that it had to happen to uh, a Navy admiral, but uh, unfortunately, he let hubris, as you said, Ken, he let hubris get in the way. But we're gonna we're gonna move on. Uh I, I do want to talk today about uh the French president uh Macron here in Washington for his for the first state visit being hosted by the Trump administration. Um the uh I don't know if anybody saw the presser today, but it was uh the, the whole events that I saw today that happened involving the French president, uh, you know, Donald Trump brought in the 21-gun salute, the full military honors and the inspection of, uh, of, of the ranks, uh, full military bands, full pomp and circumstances, but it's when they get one-on-one that it gets weird. Uh, everything from some weird, informal brushing off of dandruff off the French president uh, during a, uh, a, a press flood or the press conference itself, which kind of got a little awkward. Uh, Let me start off with you, Dan Lipner. To me, I get the impression that although they both say that they have a very close relationship and and there's much love here, I get the feeling that these are two heads of state that are not necessarily in sync on a lot of things. And I get the impression that maybe French President Macron might be holding the upper hand on this. Am I reading this wrong?
3: Based on – there's some reporting on uh, when Macron was asked whether or not him and Trump were friends. And he gave a very politic answer that uh, most certainly did not say yes but didn't say no, but basically said – I'm working the situation as it is, and, uh, yeah, it, it, it's what we got. He's the guy in the, in, in the chair. So I, I, I definitely impression Macron is, is working the president, and to some extent on behalf of the rest of the world, to uh, keeping uh, the American president on some sort of stable page uh, internationally. I mean, not completely, obviously, but, yeah, the French are taking a lead. And at the moment I'll take it.
0: Hey, Alan Moore, I mean, there were several topics that they apparently discussed today in the Oval Office. Uh several even very key recent topics, including uh the situation in Syria, the Iran nuclear deal, uh the Paris climate accords, uh even uh the uh trade issues with the European Union. Uh it it, it seems to me that you know we here we have a political novice in the President, which is why many people elected him. They thought he would be something different, something new, but we also have somewhat of a political novice, but somebody who's a very savvy politician in and, and president macron, this is a former banker who knows how to make deals and knows how to work you know work the line and work the room uh is macron does Macron have enough gravitas with Donald Trump to maybe get him to budge on things such as Paris, such as Syria, such as the Iran nuclear deal?
2: Perhaps. Um, ew, t- time will tell. This this president tends to put a very high uh, premium on personal relationships. Sometimes that can work for you. Uh, oftentimes it can be a trip down a rabbit hole. Um, he has uh, gone out of his way for reasons that uh, raise more questions than provide answers to uh, establish a, a, a good personal relationship with Vladimir Putin. Um, highly risky. Um, and and uh, we'll see, We'll, and it has caused him to, to, to change his mind and modify other behaviors and, and so on for uh, the, the the length of his presidency. In the case of Macron, Macron is a guy who seems to have figured out um, that to get along with uh, president Trump, um, you have to work at establishing and creating and nurturing a personal relationship. And if you do that, I think Macron has concluded um it might work to your benefit if you want to persuade this president. You're not going to persuade this president to do anything by by being publicly critical of him, um, by ignoring him, by remaining distance from him, by not even being willing to have a have a conversation and a, a establish sort of a one-on-one relationship. Uh, so none of this is to say that Macron has got control of of President Trump, but. But Macron seems to have concluded that if he has a good personal relationship, it greatly improves his chances of influencing uh, this president up from zero uh, or close to zero to something, some number. Um, I don't know. I mean, the president uh, talks about his relationship with uh, with uh, the, the leaders of Japan and China, and he's had some personal chemistry, it would appear, with both of those. It doesn't mean that they are suddenly controlling him or vice versa. But but this is a president who puts this big premium on these relationships, and Macron gets it. We'll see what fruit, if any, that that, that, that bears in this particular case. But if the president shows some flexibility, he seemed to be heading down a path in a few weeks of of basically uh, walking from the Iran deal, unilaterally, and reimposing some sanctions. And here's Macron, his best friend in Europe, um, and arguably the world, um, uh, the, coming in to say, don't do it that way, please, stick with us, you're gonna be isolated. It's not gonna help with Iran, and it's gonna isolate America even more. Um, here are the problems with what you're doing. And and uh, if the president has the patience to listen and reflect and think about it and realize that he's heard some of that stuff around uh, the Oval Office or around the Cabinet Room, um, we'll see. This 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 could make a difference. Um, and if it makes a Admiral, difference in Iran, it could make a difference in trade. It could make a difference in Syria. Uh, it could make a difference even in the Paris Climate Accords. It's a, it's a it's a big agenda, um, and it'll be an interesting thing to watch.
0: Admiral Ken, uh, you know, just as soon as. Uh, the Trump administration and the White House puts President Macron and his wife and his entourage back on a plane to Paris. In comes German Chancellor Angela Merkel. Uh, is it dangerous? Is it, or is it a smart move to have, you know, the 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 two big play, two of the three big players in Europe, Angela Merkel and and uh, President Macron. Uh Manuel Macron in uh in Washington within a week, the only person we're missing is uh Theresa May out of out of uh the UK.
4: Well
1: is it's, this
0: a smart one having it come well, in?
1: It's it's dangerous because because okay, so <laughs> I don't understand why there's always this belief that maybe somebody that's got a good relationship with the president is going to get him to behave in a manner that he hasn't behaved in before. Um, yeah, but,
4: yeah, he, but, he's, but he's, hold like on. uncle's on. not one of
0: them. I, I,
1: I'm, I'm going to get. to that. I'm going to get to that. So, in the case of China, oh, we love each other. We're having chocolate cake at, at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, you know, did did that stop him from from following his um, his uh, campaign rhetoric of slapping sanctions on China and and, and possibly starting a trade war? No. So Macron comes in. Macron comes in, and let's face it, he likes Macron because Macron is a good-looking guy. He's suave. He's debonair. Something that Donald Trump sees in himself. And is it dangerous for Angela Merkel to come in? Yeah, because what she's gonna do, because he does, she doesn't have a good relationship with him, is gonna undo the fine uh, tilling of the soil that Macron has done. And it's gonna be, if nothing else, a a a, uh, a mad rush back to. What he believes is his nationalistic approach, America first, and doing what he wants to do with regard to um, the, the Iran treaty uh, toward uh, uh, climate, uh, climate change. Uh, it, it, again, yeah, it's dangerous because of that, of that, um, of that point. Last thing, you know, the point of being sexist, uh, I'm, I'm, I apologize, but I got to tell you, Melania Trump in the, the white hat and the white outfit, she was smoking.
0: Okay, we're gonna yeah was, yeah we're gonna let that we're gonna. Let I'm gonna that buy I'm I'm
1: buying Eileen that outfit as we're soon gonna, as I can. It's outstanding. We're
0: gonna let that one slide, Admiral Ken, because I'm glad I'm glad Sharm was on here. #Hashtag Me Too. Good God, what are you thinking, dude? Come on. Hey, um, the, the uh, Dan Lipner. I'm, I'm still shocked by this, Dan Lipner. Uh. Does it? I mean, is is there is is this a coordinated tag team between Macron and Angela Merkel come in and play good cop bad cop on Donald Trump?
3: Who's the bad cop? I
0: I would say Angela I mean, Merkel's the bad cop.
3: Well, I mean, so it it could be a a thousand different things, but the Iran treaty is not inconsequential, and it if the president actually is with Korea, again, I suspect it's dubious, but if he actually wants North Korea to sign on the dotted line, how on earth do you do that if you pull out of the deal with Iran? It seems pretty straightforward. All the evidence suggests the Iranians are adhering to their side of the bargain, and if Donald Trump unilaterally decides to pull out. Why should anyone, not only trust this president, but trust future American presidents to stick to deals? I mean, this is this kind of thing matters, and I suspect that's part of the talks that uh, both Macron and uh, Merkel will be having w- with with Donald Trump. Admiral Ken,
0: I mean, Dan brings up a great point. You know. We're giving all the legitimacy in the world to the North Koreans and Kim Jong-un, yet the one players that seem to be
4: playing as
0: much to the rules of the game as anybody, the Iranians, we're ready to set them on fire. It seems to me that the the national security advisors and the uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff should be advising the president this might not be the right play. And,
1: and and you know what? Uh, who who says they're not? Uh, the only person I can think of in the list of people you just you just uh, um, ran through is John Bolton, uh, who who would not be advising the president to think twice on this. Uh, I think everybody, for the most part, uh, is in agreement with with the the way things Dan just described them, including myself. If anybody is is, I don't I haven't seen any in the any, any uh, evidence that the Iranians are, are not uh, not uh, keeping their word on the deal. But for whatever reason, that was a campaign promise that the president made. He has so far, to the best of his abilities, tried to uh, stick to those. And the only thing that stopped him, quite frankly, is uh, a few courts here and there. But by and large, he's doing what he said he was going to do. Most people would be happy yeah, with that. I believe our all CIA Trump, director – all, all of his Trump supporters are loving that fact.
4: Our CIA director
3: be? said, I said, I believe our current CIA director, uh, when he publicly testified before Congress at some point, said that Iranians were adhering to the deal. Not that that kind of thing matters to the president, That is his own yeah, guy says that. exactly.
2: But, well, let's remember, you know, and I I, I think we. <laughs> I'm intrigued with, with the certainty with which, with which we know what Merkel will do, what John Bolton is saying, and so on. Um, it is true that Trump in the campaign talked about this as the worst deal in the history of the world, that that, that he, he would walk away from the moment he had a chance. And we're it was 16, eight, 17 months into uh, this administration, and, and he has resisted um, walking away from the deal because people around him have said, they're fulfilling it. They're fulfilling it. They're fulfilling it. If you start walking away from deals, even if they're bad deals, and there are plenty of people who didn't like the deal, I was no fan of this deal, but I do believe that it it it's really important for America when it makes a deal to stick by uh, the deal unless there's truly um, national security issues involved, unless... You know, we're convinced that there that that some things that were not included in the deal are creating new risks and if we can persuade uh the other uh parties to this deal that some renegotiation, reconsideration, criticism, etc. Uh, should be part of it, then that's fine, and that's the way we should do it. I don't know where Bolton is now on this thing. He was highly critical of the deal, so was Pompeo. Um and and I don't know what Pompeo is saying now. It's one thing to say they're fulfilling the their end of a bad deal. <laughs> the question is, what do we what do we do about it? And I and Pompeo is, is, is had to respond to that. And and uh, you know I don't know what Bolton is saying now under under all of these circumstances. Um,
4: right, what's really, interesting? Alan, what's in interesting? But
2: what's, no? Well, let me say something Wait, about Macron and Merkel though. Because I think that okay. what's interesting, Macron has this personal relationship. I'm guessing that whatever happens in the next couple of days will be communicated to Merkel. Those two are pretty close. So they need to be, uh, Merkel and Macron. And and my guess is uh, that that Merkel, who's nobody's fool, is figuring out. Okay, I'm not going to have the, the the good looks uh, of <laughs> uh, <laughs> that that Trump likes, and I'm not going to have the 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 personality of back slapping or golf playing that the that, that Trump likes, but I need to re reorient myself and try to establish some personal connections to him hard as that is um, because that seems to work and it'll be interesting to see. She'll get a, a, a readout on what, what Trump said to Macron, uh, I'm assuming, and then she'll try to adjust accordingly. I I don't make any assumption of, of certainty about what will or will not occur between the two of them. They did not get off to a great start, and, and of course Trump was deeply resentful of the fact that the world was saying, "Well, here's the new leader of the Western world, Angela Merkel." She didn't. She wasn't promoting herself in that regard, and you have to know that that bothered the hell out of Trump. But. Where is she now? What will happen? I don't know. It doesn't bother me that it's back to back because it it hopefully she they they cannot be good cop bad cop but two different angles with the same message on a couple of key international issues that Europe and the America and the U S should be aligned on. I don't know. We'll see.
4: Yeah,
0: but but here's, here's the here's the question I have for you now You've dealt with international affairs, and you know that in international affairs, particularly in sensitive times like this, there is a certain uh, optics and perception are reality. Uh, Does it not strike us as odd that the one group who would literally, we, we can't trust to save our lives, that being the North Koreans, and not that we have great trust in the Iranians, but it, it seems to me that we're in a big rush to legitimize Kim Jong-un and his brutal dictatorship, as opposed to putting sanctions and hurting what could be a future possible peaceful revolution in Iran. It seems like we've got our wires crossed a little bit. Am I wrong?
4: I,
2: I, I think you're premature here. Um, you're I think you're jumping to conclusions on both countries. Um, and, and, uh, uh, all of this stuff is <laughs> is sort of in play these days. Um, whether it should be or not is a different issue. But but uh, I mean I'm I'm hopeful about about uh, what might or might not occur in uh, what what might occur in, in Korea. Um, we have a long history of failure uh, of of. Of commitments and lies, um, so one has to assume that that will likely occur again. But that doesn't mean we we don't talk to them and we try to take out uh, uh, electronically uh, uh, or, or 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 with weaponry their their capacity and run the risk of of uh, of war on the peninsula. I'll remind you, it was not very many months ago that that was what was going on in the rhetoric, belittling names, back and forth threats, tests, et cetera. Um, and at least now uh, there's a, a, a moment of calm. The South Koreans are, are import, um, importantly, very importantly engaged, um, and Pompeo has met with Kim. Uh, there may be a, there may well be a meeting late May and June. The president <laughs> went, went out of his way. It was uncharacteristic of him to say so. Hey, if I don't think we're gonna, gonna. Going to have a good meeting. I won't go if we're there and we're not making progress. I'll, I'll politely leave early. That was not Donald Trump talk. That was some talk that he had to be convinced would be useful, and he and he and he scored a few points with that. Um, and and uh, Iran, it's 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 a sort of a different calculus where. Does America really want to go solo and reimpose sanctions without the other major parties on our side of, of, of that deal? What's the point of that, and what's the long-term impact? Is that you know, going to work in America's interest? It's going to work in the Donald Trump interest of meeting right. some, some ill-considered right. campaign promises, but it may not be in America's interest, and I don't know what he'll hear from Macron and
1: Merkel. Ad-
0: Admiral Ken, do you agree with uh, Alan Moore?
1: Yeah, I think I do. Um, I, again, I, 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 I'm just I'm jaundiced now when it comes to um, expecting anything. Um, um, I guess old. I guess the best way of calling it, this old world diplomatic from President Trump. Um, I, I'm, I'm, you know, every time I turn on the TV, I, I, I do, I do so with, with 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 clenched muscles, thinking, okay, what's going to happen next? But I, I'm hoping Alan's right.
0: Dan Lutner, you agree with Admiral Cannon and Alan?
3: Uh, yeah, I, I, I do.
0: Oh,
3: okay. Would have thought you would ma'am,
0: have been a little more spin. Boy, this show has certainly gotten boring.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah no, kidding. No, I kidding. couldn't disagree. Um, this is the most interesting
4: show <laughs> ever. Where? Exactly. Where? Hey, Where where is
2: Al Swift when we need him?
4: Exactly,
0: exactly. Um, Real quickly, just to close out this segment, uh, it it strikes me that with President Macron uh, at least trying to bring some sort of connectivity to the European allies, uh, is there any pressure on the White House for them to kind of come around and look at some of the secondary issues like the Paris Accord uh, or maybe you know the future of Syria Alan Moore start with you
2: I'm sorry I I missed the key part of your question if you could repeat I was
0: thinking about Alan is there any
4: is
0: there any um, does Macron is there any pressure on Macron to get Trump to buy in on some of these secondary issues, i.e., Paris Accord, i.e., future activity in Syria, uh, i.e., European trade.
2: These are all primary issues. They're not secondary issues. They're 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 not quite as urgent. But but uh, he he's got to look out for uh, for not only French but for for European manufacturers in terms of the the potential of uh, steel and, alumo, and, and aluminum tariffs. We know the president has shown <laughs> after his tough, uh, uh, unyielding opening gambit, then he started providing um, uh, waivers all over the place. So that that's critically important from a local economic standpoint. Syria is really important because it's in their neighborhood. It's not in ours. It's, it continues to generate Literally millions of refugees, most of whom have found their way—if they're not most of them are in Jordan or in Turkey—but tens of thousands of them have found their way to Europe, um, and and uh, along with Iraqi refugees, um, uh, others in the region who've been displaced, and it's a critically important issue, to politically, economically, um, socially. Uh, in uh, all over Europe, um, and and uh, and Macron, if if he can figure out how to talk to our president in two and three minute snippets or twenty and thirty second snippets, um, might might have a breakthrough um, uh, in in uh, uh, w- w- with this president, give him some kind of new realization. The Paris Accords, apparently, the two of the, uh, reportedly have talked a couple of times, and the president was trying to say, I, we might get back into it if we can modify it. And Macron has had to say, yeah, but, Mr. President, it, it unfortunately doesn't really work that way. You're either in or you're not in. You don't get to go in, pull out, and say, hey, let's renegotiate with all of these countries. Um, and and so I just don't know. I, I if, if If I – I'm thinking, you know, we all we, we have this great tendency to talk about the president's ignorance and, and short attention span. But but I was t- I was str- stricken by uh, the, the the Comey memos about some of Comey's observations about the president and how his mind works. He, he when he focuses in on something, he knows a lot of detail as he did as and, and he can talk on and on about it. He jumps around, he goes to a subject, comes, switches subjects, comes back to the first subject, but, but had, a, had a, a detailed knowledge of chronology with several of the issues relating to, uh, to the Russians and Flynn, for example, and Hillary emails that surprised Comey that he would know so much detail. So I remind everybody of that, even as we, we talk about how unfocused he is, he focuses in on some things and really can, can retain it. I don't know what that means for these conversations with Macron and with, uh, with Merkel, with Abe, who was just, uh, uh, just in America. Um, I, I don't know how, he hang, how he's putting it together, but hopefully, 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 at least he's retaining some of it and getting some new insight.
0: Dan Lipner, who's got more pressure on him to get through to, to Donald Trump? Uh, Macron or Merkel?
3: More pressure on them. I mean, how do you how do you measure the pressure of the rest of the world praying that they are successful? That's a lot of pressure.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: you know what? I'm
0: gonna let that be the last word. Uh, let's let's move on a little bit and let's talk about something. I know Dan Littner is just chomping the beat to get to is. In yet another demonstration of the GOP's odd handling of the entire Russia collusion, special counsel, and now uh, Cohen's investigation, we have a new revelation that came out last week. The release of the Comey memos, and as Alan Moore quite eloquently pointed out, interesting reading. Uh, It pretty much everybody had thought that we would see stuff like, uh, hey, the president is an idiot. Hey, the president doesn't get what's going on. And it was quite the opposite. In fact, what we saw was a very, very smart president, as addressed by Comey, somebody who is very uh, in his own mind, very strategic, but is definitely outside of his league in dealing with the presidency and the stresses that come with it. Uh, Dan Lipner, to me, it seems like, you know, the GOP released these memos or forced the release of these memos. To me, it sounds like this was a mistake, again, that hurt the GOP when they thought, oh, this will this will vindicate us. Why do they keep missing the step on this?
3: Yeah, I've been trying to figure that one out. So I, I'm kind of under the impression that there are there are lots of republicans that truly loathe the president so in the guise of helping him with these memos and the uh white house staff not being the the, the swiftest bunch and not the least of which the person at the, the at, at the the head of the beast uh in spite of the rest of the conversation that we've been having about the president uh truly having uh graphs of detail the obviously somebody thought that you know these memos these will vacate the president when as far as law enforcement goes contemporary records that you make in the in in the regular course of business are presumed to be accurate and admissible if they're done just in the course of an investigation and you do it for the file and lo and behold the comey memos have backed up everything that he's been saying previously. And then we also got the additional nuggets that apparently, uh, while all those, according to the president, all of those things that happened in the hotel room are not true from the dossier, uh, Vladimir Putin was kind enough to share that apparently the Russians have the best uh, prostitutes in the world. Uh, good to know. Uh, why the president felt compelled to share that, and obviously that would take away any suspicion of anything else in the dossier being true. I mean, talking about prostitutes with Vladimir Putin, of course, I, I couldn't possibly link the dots there with anything else.
1: Um,
3: uh, go ahead.
0: So, okay,
1: go ahead. So, so I, I'm I'm going to take a different tack on this than Dan um if you if you listen if you listen to people like Devin Nunes the the true uh congressional republican trump disciples uh they would have you believe that uh Jim Comey and um Robert Mueller and Andrew McCabe and to a lesser extent uh uh, uh Rob Rosenstein and and maybe uh attorney general Sessions are 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 all liars and that this is a complete witch hunt, and that uh, it's all made up stuff, unless using the president's words. And so they believe that. I really think they believe that. And so the 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 demand that the Trump or that the uh, the Comey memos be um, uh, uh, be publicized, um, I think they thought they would find the fact that. Uh, you know, yeah, this is all made up. That uh, Comey has lied from the from day one, and that this is going to exonerate the president. And, and 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 what what they found was that was not the case. And yeah, to, Justin, to your point, they they, they keep screwing us up because they 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 refuse to, to 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 do the right thing. And that's basically stay mum, let Mueller finish his investigation. If there's nothing there, then the president will get to finish out his term in peace, and we'll go on from there. But they have done; they've they've turned a mockery into the the, the congressional intelligence committee. Um, they've basically made the chair of that committee uh, look like something you need to spray with Lysol before the next person sits in it. It's 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 ludicrous, and that's why. Uh, I think they, they wanted those memos released, and if they were smart, they would have gone through them with more of a balanced eye than 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 the uh, the approach that they took and, and here we are
0: but I mean Alan Moore, I mean we're not the only ones getting the impression that this is an operation being run by Wiley e. Coyote, and we're expecting an anvil with Acme to drop in the middle of Robert Mueller's desk at some point they got to get out of their way out of their own way why does this keep happening to the republicans is it lack of understanding is it lack of discipline is it lack of political savvy
2: well there's also this piece you have a you have a president who uh, as as uh, as ken pointed out uh won't stay quiet and let Uh, The uh, the investigation uh, be completed. And and the areas Trey Gowdy said, if you're innocent, act like it. Um, Don't make noise. Don't yell and scream. Um, They call it a witch hunt. Well, I don't we should look up the the definition of witch hunt because 19 people have been indicted. Five people have been uh, have copped pleas. And Paul Manafort is still out there uh, with, with obviously an enormous amount of information. Are they witches? I mean, if this is a witch hunt, they found a whole slew of them. Um, and, and uh, whether or not they ever implicate the president, um, we've got that group. And then we've got Jared Kushner, who has, has
4: not,
2: has not been indicted, has not copped the plea. Um, we've got Michael Cohen, who uh who who has whose sins were significant enough or suspected sins were significant enough that notwithstanding the fact that at least at least some of the time he is a lawyer for the president um they they uh, had a surprise visit to three different sites where they they took information um on paper and electronically uh from him there's a lot there there is a whole lot there that is uh Meets the standards that are not low standards, the high standards of what is required to to uh, uh, search and seize uh, for for information. So the president it knows that using terms like witch hunt and slime ball and lawyer and lock them up. Has an audience that is uh, sort of frothing out there and and eating that stuff up and apparently pretty unyielding, pretty loyal, but he's not winning yeah, over any new people.
0: Well, then that also doesn't help the case as far as the optics in the eyes of the people that are actually doing the investigation. They see this stuff. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the latest, That's right? They're, the not, latest they're not they're not potted plants out.
2: either. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And by the way, uh, just to add some more drama to this, a uh, friend of the show, former guest on the show, and former New York City mayor, Rudy Giuliani, it was announced last week that he has joined the Trump defense team in dealing with Robert Mueller and is apparently also offering advice on how to. Have Cohen deal with the U.S. Attorney's Office out of the Southern District of New York. Uh, Dan Lipner, as the attorney on the board today, number one, does, does does Rudy Giuliani still have that kind of gravitas with the U.S. Attorney's Office that he might be able to uh, help smooth or or help smooth over some of the way for Cohen, and does he have that kind of stroke with Mueller to help make this? Come to a close within the next few weeks, as the president has suggested.
3: Considering his first comments uh, when he was brought onto the team were was talking about it like it was a civil case uh, that trying to reach some sort of settlement um, was the first little inkling that maybe Rudy's a game as a lawyer has come and gone. Uh, I have no doubt he still has contacts and people he worked with back when, when he was a U.S. attorney. However, actually having Sway, that's something different, especially considering what these guys' at men and women's jobs are. Their job isn't to, to be a crony to somebody. Their, their job is to investigate and prosecute crimes on behalf of the U.S. government. And if they got a case, they got a case. And it's not about whether or not Rudy likes you, doesn't like you, or is friends with you, or that matter whether or not the president is friends with you. These folks got a job, and they are judged by the success of prosecutions. It's hard for me to see what Rudy is going to bring here other than another face that Trump will like seeing when he's interviewed on Fox and Friends.
0: Admiral Ken, I mean, is – is uh, Rudy Giuliani just a showpiece, or is is there a real strategy behind bringing him on board?
1: Well, I I think even bringing him on board as a showpiece is part of is part of a strategy. I mean, think about the fact that you know nobody in this town would touch this, and um, and he's he had to bring somebody in with some gravitas, even if he's not one of the leading minds. Uh, directing what I think the president is, is thinking is going to have to be his defense. Um, you know, having Giuliani's name on the uh, on the, on the banner of the of the team that you that you assemble does not hurt. Uh, it may not help that much, uh, depending on whatever charges you know. If charges uh, are filed and whatever the severity of those charges might be, but um, you know, certainly it it plays well to his audience. Uh, I think it plays well to uh, to Rudy's uh, audience because there are a number of people out here, you know, uh, yourself, m- you know, and me to possibly a lesser extent that still think pretty highly of the mayor. Um, but uh, I think it does not hurt. But I think bringing him in is definitely def- definitely part of a strategy.
0: I mean, Alan Moore, you know, when I first heard the news that they had in fact secured Rudy Giuliani to be part of the president's council. Uh, on on both the Cohen and on the special uh, special counsel's office, I, I, I first thought to myself, all right, you know what? this makes a lot of sense. Both Muir and uh, Giuliani are familiar with each other from the u s attorney's office. Uh, there's uh, there's a lot of things happening in New York where involving a lot of attorneys that used to work with or for. Rudy Giuliani, out of, that, out of the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office in, in New York City. Um, but it struck me also is they're still not addressing the invisible 300-pound gorilla in the room, and that's the fact President possibly has an Albany problem with the New York State Attorney General. There, there is no love lost between those two, and if they were looking to smooth things over with Albany at the same time, that's not gonna happen, I don't think, with Rudy Giuliani. I mean, are, are they that confident that Albany can't touch him, or are they just focused on these two and they'll cross that bridge? No, when they come no, no,
4: no, no, no.
2: No, they're not I, I, I'm guessing they're not they're they're not thinking about Albany yet, uh, and maybe and hoping they'll never have to, hoping they can can get closure ultimately with uh the federal investigation. And have the President come out of it with uh with just a few bumps and bruises, but nothing uh, uh nothing really serious um, and they would love to get it done sooner rather than later the, the the I think the notion with Giuliani there were two two things there one the president knows him likes him and and knows that he's got visibility and a name so have having been shot down by all these other name attorneys um uh, who are actually Genuinely practicing attorneys, unlike, unlike Giuliani in recent years, um, uh, it's like, hey, all right, everybody knows who Rudy is. Good, that'll that'll help us because he's a name guy. Everybody knows who he is. He's famous. And guess what? He's he's going to try to close this out, as Dan said, as Dan said, within the next two or three weeks. It's, what what gives him the thought that that could be? Um, and that might have been the line that he told the president, he might have said look,
1: um,
2: put me on pay me a dollar um, and uh, if I, I'll see what I can do in a couple of three weeks because I know some of these guys and I know how they think and how they work
4: um,
2: it, it, I, I'll be very surprised if, if Rudy is still on the team uh, six or eight weeks from now when that two to three week uh, uh, highly optimistic time frame he talked about has come and gone and he's just getting in the way of these other lawyers and he's going out and making public statements that's driving them nuts. And they're, you know, I could see him creating problems inside that team p- p- conceivably where those guys would say, Mr. President, sorry, it's gotta be him or us. Cause he's, he's driving us nuts over here. Now he's not stupid. So maybe he'll, he'll have the good sense to, uh, uh, to be a team player, but, but that's not really his style. Not, not after having been mayor all of this time and having had a, a a soapbox, but the the focus is on Mueller there. Now, if the president were, we we, we tend to talk about, about the, the, uh, the attorney general of New York in the context of if the president tried to shut down the federal investigation by getting rid of Mueller, getting rid of Rosenstein, getting getting rid of Sessions, uh, I guess having the solicitor general be the acting attorney general uh, or some other some other person in another agency who has been confirmed by the Senate. It's just a it's just a god awful mess. We've been back and forth on this. I don't think he'll get rid of Mueller, even though he would love to. Um, and and uh, but but we typically talk about the state of New York coming in. If if the federal investigation was somehow effectively shot down, then good luck. Then the then the state will pick it up. I don't think that'll happen. I think that that, uh, that doesn't mean there may not be some state charges that if, if I were, if I were lawyer Cohen, I'd worry about what's going on in the state. But, but, uh, I, I, I'm guessing, I mean, my hunch is uh, pretty strongly that, that one, one way or another, the Mueller investigation will go on with Mueller leading it. It will play out over the next few months and then we'll know where we stand. And, uh, uh, and the president will be wounded, but still limping along. Um, it would again be my hunch, but you know that's why you do the investigation. We'll see what happens. Um, but, Dan, but Giuliani's there to deal with Mueller, not the state.
0: Right. Dan Lipner, does, does with everything that happened over the past week, uh, the release of Comey's books, the release of Comey's memo, does Comey still have credibility with Mueller and the American public?
3: Well, those are two very different stocks. Um With the American public, the the Trump and with the aid and assistance of the band of right-wing lunatics and uh, the talk show host Sean Hannity and all of the Fox and Friends friends. Uh, so the American public, that's one thing. But it's worth noting the American public doesn't necessarily know how the law works. Uh, I'm reminded that when i uh, once took uh, somebody on a tour of the Supreme Court, and a very thoughtful member of uh, the tour group I was with asked where the witnesses sit uh, when they testify before the Supreme Court. And while it was, most people don't necessarily understand uh, how 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 an appellate court works. So how uh, I for our future. The, uh, the the, the the challenging of of uh, Mueller or Comey in the eyes of the American public, yeah, that's entirely possible. Uh, when people's you know Judge Judy or Judge Wapner might be their their closest understanding to how the judicial system works. Now, with Mueller and actual investigators, Comey has lost absolutely nothing. The the the, the records and the memos backed up everything that's been asserted. And the fact that he wrote those memos contemporaneously as when those events happened lends more credibility to them. And so, when those, when those items are admitted to either a to a grand jury or an, or a actual trial, those things will actually be given more credence, not less.
4: Right.
0: Well, I'll let that be the last word because we've got to move on to uh, a subject that could be probably the, the hardest segment that I'm probably going to have to do. Uh, this is not going to be easy for me, guys, so um, I'm just going to warn you right now. Uh, over the, As I stated at the uh, beginning of the show, uh, over the weekend we got word that our colleague, our friend, our, the co-creator of this show, uh, Congressman Al Swift passed away at his home in Alexandria at the age of eighty-two. Uh, Al served eight terms, sixteen years in Congress representing the second congressional district of Washington State. Whoever's moving around on their microphone, please go to mute for a second, because it's really it's really taken off on this. Thank you. Um Congressman Al worked for the people of the second congressional district for 16 years. Uh, and in 1994, when he started seeing the political winds changing in a way that, well, really wasn't attracted to him, uh, Congressman Al decided, you know what? I've done, I've done my service. I'm going to let, I'm going to move along and let other people continue that service.
4: Um,
0: uh, Congressman Al was an award-winning broadcaster, which not a lot of people knew. Uh, I knew Al only had an Emmy because he happened to tell me a story about when he got his Emmy, and it was a regional Emmy, but I kept joking with him. He was the only Emmy award winner that I knew. Um, I met Al 14 years ago in a cigar bar in downtown Washington, D.C., where this all started. And it started with him and another friend of ours, our other co-creator, Bob Hines. Two of them were have their martinis and their cigars on a Tuesday afternoon in Shelley's, And as I would frequent it, the more I frequented the more that we would give the initial head nods of hello, acknowledgement, and then it became hello, handshaking, and then it became sit down and join us. And, and then it became what we now know, Ten years later is backroom politics. Um, Al was, um, Al was. Uh, I used to do. Uh, I, I used to do um, political speeches. I, we, Al and I had the greatest time doing these at different colleges around the area. We did a couple at Georgetown but we became a regular uh a regular occurrence up at American University and I loved that. I loved talking to the kids in a real way that gave them a sense of this is how politics really is discussed. And when we created this show 10 years ago, we created it on the mission that hopefully we could bring back civility, bring back statesmanship. <laughs> back to politics and 10 years later we're still trying to make that happen we don't take the party line al said that he never would he was a practical democrat and the one thing he proved to me was that we may be different parties we may see things differently but we all drink the same drinks we all smoke the same cigars and it doesn't mean that we can't do this and be friends at the end of the day. And we don't have a lot of that anymore.
4: <laughs>
0: uh, he is uh, he is going to be greatly missed. Uh, our hearts go out to his family. But I wanted to take this last segment to kind of remember out as we knew him. Uh, you know, the, the martini glass. The cigars, the uh, the laughter, his, his, his very civilized laughter that he would do. Uh, his bad jokes that he loved just making at various times, either during the show or after the show, when we would sit around and have our last drinks and cigars. But um, But make no mistake about it is, this is a man who had big political influence. Motor voter bill was his idea. Changes to how this country deals with environmental hazardous waste, how it deals with environmental laws, how it deals with rail safety. Al had a piece of that, and Al had some influence on that. Everybody I knew that knew Al in Congress always said Al was the guy that you wanted to be with, Al was the guy that you wanted to serve with on committee. Al's the one that you wanted to be with at dinner or over drinks. He, he was the type of guy that we need in Congress. So, uh, Alan, you, you met actually Congressman Al back during the day when you were on Senate committee, I believe. Is that correct?
2: I, I would have met him. Um, but I, I didn't get to know him until 1990. And I was the, president of the trade association of the garbage industry of America, the national waste, solid waste management association, it was called. And Al was a, a key subcommittee member, um, chairman of a, of, of a house committee that, that dealt with uh, all these waste issues, as you, as you mentioned, environmental issues, managing waste, et cetera. And, um, and one of the big companies, uh, uh, in the biggest company in my membership, Waste Management uh, Corporation, um, helped uh, structure and put together a trip to Europe. Um, I went. Al went. Um, Senator Max Baucus from Montana went. He was chairman of the uh, the Senate Environment Committee, and then a couple of waste management people. It was a small little group. There were seven seven or eight of us, and we travel to different uh, european cities to see how the europeans do it to see how they recycle to see how they minimize waste in the first place to see how they uh uh burn a lot of their waste and generate electricity um and, th- and that's something that is done in parts of america including in the washington dc area and in new york um but but it it has never taken on like it has in europe um And so we traveled around to various countries and 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 visited facilities, talked to uh, to government officials and just were together for probably five or six days. It was a delightful time. He was a fabulous guy. Uh, There was this interesting little he didn't know Max Bacchus particularly. I knew I I knew Bacchus some from because I was coming from the Senate had come from the Senate side. Um, and, uh, so those two got to know each other and there was this little awkwardness about, so when we go to a meeting, whose whose meeting is it? Who's in charge? And, and, and I had a side conversation with Al about it and he said, you know, look, he said, I, I realized you, I, me, Alan, I, that I'm in a little bit of an awkward position trying to juggle these two guys. He said, I know, I know that senators tend to think of the Senate as the superior body. So I'll tell you what, why don't, why don't I just be the, why don't we just let Max Baucus be the head of the delegation? Because sometimes there needs to be a head and, and he will play a support role. And I was kind of going back and forth with him and, and, and and Max and, and, and Senator Baucus. And, and I loved Al for the fact that he kind of saw the situation, saw the dilemma and just uh, in effect, volunteered to 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 be a team player to make it easy. Quakers was gracious. It wasn't as though Al couldn't uh, couldn't speak uh, in meetings or anything like that. It was just one of those little touches that reminded me of the fundamental grace of the man, along with oh my gosh, laughter constantly, as well as serious investigation of of everything we were looking at and in, in, in conversation and so after that we were friends um had dinner with him and his wife and and uh and me and my late wife and and uh and then I didn't see that much of him until I ran into to to Bob Hines who I'd also known for a long time and who was a great friend of Al and and he told me well, you guys were doing this talk show and I should come down and visit and gosh, that was a lot of years ago. <laughs> yeah. um,
0: that was five, five, six years ago.
2: It was probably seven or eight years ago. I got invited in and
0: uh, never left.
2: But uh, yeah, uh, he was a he was just a fine, fine guy who epitomized what this show was all about, which is let's get let let's have some Republicans, let's have some Democrats, let's talk about the issues of the day. In a civil manner. Let's agree. Let's disagree. Let's tease. Let's needle. Yes. Let's uh, correct. It was it was a fun uh, operation. It was a, I think the, the the people lucky enough to to join us or listen in uh, learned something if they were paying attention, and uh, and among other things they learned that people from the two political parties really could sit down talk rationally, not give, you know, not give an inch if they, if they disagreed, but knew they knew how to disagree and, and not be offensive, not be angry, not be ugly. Um, even as you were making your case, uh, just,
4: a you know, terrific in, in the human thing about it, being who
2: was well-loved and, you know, m- members of the house and, and, uh, uh, it, it's just it's a sad time. The
0: community. Yeah. You know the funny thing about it is, you know, in, in the years I, in the years I've known now, uh, he never had a bad word to say about mm, anybody, with a couple of exceptions. <laughs> anytime we <laughs> say, don't get carried away. Here. Anytime, anytime <laughs> we would mention Henry Waxman's name, it was like a, it would be like a blood vessel would just break and he would just. Uh, not exactly president of the Nancy Pelosi fan club. Uh, there were a lot of people that that he, you know, there were a lot of people that that uh, even Republicans that Al respected and considered very close to your friends party that he just had no time of day for. And I always remember anytime we mentioned the name Nancy Pelosi, it was it, it took everything out of him not to just spit in the microphone there at the table. When we were doing the show live together, uh, it's just and Henry Waxman—you don't even mention it. He would—he—he—he—there would, was no love for that man there. But you know, the, the the funny thing about it is Dan Littner, When we look at uh, when we look at, at people like Congressman Al, uh, you you know, it, it seems that you know Congressman Al never really sought the spotlight. He was never going to be because it wasn't a time of a gang of eight. He went and did his job and and had distinct love for the constituents, the 2nd Congressional District there in Washington State. He was a simple broadcaster from uh, Bellingham. uh, Have we just lost that type of politician? Are we ever going to see anybody like Al ever again?
3: Um I'm hesitant to say we're going to we, we we've never going to see somebody like Al ever again, but I think it's incumbent upon all of us who had the uh the privilege of knowing Al to remind folks that people like Al Swift, who both lived a life in the private sector and also lived a life in serving serving his constituents and serving the country can do so with grace, with humor, with humility, and that there is a conversation that can be had with those you agree with, those you disagree with, and there's a way of finding a path forward. My favorite, it's a well-worn uh, DC adage, especially amongst those uh, in, in office that an Al would, would repeat it frequently. The uh, If you can't take their money, eat their food, and drink their liquor and still vote against what they're asking you to do, you have no business being here in Washington. And, uh, and he would say it, pick up his martini glass, smoke his cigar, both of which I am doing right now in honor of Al. I, I, I swiftly <laughs> went, yeah. broke out of work to make I, sure I could have be able to toast Al right now because when
4: yeah. Al
3: – I'm the young tyke on the show, and Al welcomed me to the show. And one of the things that I always made note of is Al was consistently one of the voices wanting more diversity of voices on the show. Not people that agreed with him, but people who brought a different perspective, whether or not it's gender or age. Al was always making sure other voices got heard. And that is something that that we need more of. And we're best served by saying – we need more L. with
0: You know, Admiral Ken, you know, we, you know, we were dealing with the loss of our friend and our colleague. We're, you know, we, you know, we were sad to hear the news of the passing of, of Barbara Bush and, and now George W. Bush uh, is in critical condition at, uh, at uh, Houston Methodist hospital down in Texas. It, it seems to me that, you know, when we hear the, The eulogy of Barbara Bush when we look at a George H. W. Bush at ninety two in a wheelchair, literally shaking hands of people who've come to pay their respects to his wife of seventy years. it, It 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 strikes me that, you know, we're missing something here that You know, we see the pictures of the Obamas. We see the picture of the Obamas with the Clintons, with the Bush family, and we just kind of go, what what are we missing here? And I guess that's the question I pose to you is, what are we missing here, Ken?
1: Well, so um, I I think that what we're missing uh, can be summed up in one word, and that's civility. Um, The Bushes exuded it. Um, the Clintons, you know, even though uh, there were some turbulent times during the, uh, the Clinton years, there was civility there. There was civility with, 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 um, with W, with, with uh, George W. Bush. And, um, and, um, and I think what we're seeing now or what days without civility at the highest office in the land look like. And if it doesn't leave a bad taste in your mouth, then you're you're not paying attention, or you are, as my mother would put it, drug up not raised. Um, I, uh, I I watched I watched Barbara Bush's funeral, um, and um, it was it was it was a difficult thing for me to go th- uh, to watch. And and I'll be quick here. Um, uh, when I was a junior in my junior year at the Naval Academy, I uh, I conned my way onto the men's glee club. And we were asked to perform at uh, President Reagan's inaugural gala. At the end of the show, um, all the performers, Frank Sinatra, um, um, uh, the, the, the host of the others, uh, all stood around um, at uh, the edge of the stage and held hands with, with President and, uh, and Mrs. Reagan. And I found myself standing between George and Barbara Bush. And my father, who was a mover and shaker in the Alabama Democratic Party, swears that that was the night I got recruited into the Republican Party. And, and he might, <laughs> and, and, and he might be right. And, and the reason for that is at the end of the, at the end of at the end of the last song, we were we were all saying "God Bless America." Barbara Bush turned to me, put her hands on my cheeks, and said, "Honey, how old are you?" And I said, "Ma'am, I'm 20." And she looked at him. and She says, "George, he's just a little bit older than you were when you went off to World War II." And it struck me, and I will never forget that moment. Wow! And so, what we what we what we're missing what we're missing is civility. The Bush's politics were was the family business for the Bush family. But as much of it as much as it was a family business, um, people like like them and, and Congressman Al, they were civil to one another. Uh, they talk about how. Reagan and Tip O'Neill went at it, but you know they would sit down and have a drink and a, and a smoke together at the end of the, at the end of a long day. We we you know we've lost the ability to disagree without without being dis, disagreeable. Um, in the last year, I've been called all number of names by all number of groups of people, you know, because I refuse to to be anything but consistent in my in my holding certain people to a bar we've lost civility and i think that's what we're seeing here and i i pray that we have not seen the last of people like like uh congressman Al, because we need them now more than ever and i was one of those those voices of those diverse voices that he wanted on the show and i i gotta tell you you know uh, the invitation that that you and that you justin and, and uh, congressman Al and the rest of the panel made for me to join I look forward to this every every week. It's it's great. And it's it's the one place where we can basically the talk we can talk about things be a little a little edgy like I was earlier with one comment that I made, but it not be taken in anything else other than 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 humor and and, and us trying to, you know, bring a little levity to an otherwise, you know, difficult set of circumstances. Thanks.
0: Yeah. Um we uh yeah, you know the, the the funny thing about it is, you know, it, what started off is just three guys talking, and other people want. You know, I mean, this literally the radio show came about because other people wanted to hear what we were saying and hear and join in the discussion. And Al, and 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 of course, you know, with Al you got Bob, and and they were best friends, and they, you know, one was a, a Republican who was a staunch. Gerald Ford operative and the other was a, a flaming liberal agnostic from Washington state and you know it, 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 they they were the odd couple but we've seen that odd couple before and what's truly truly remarkable about all this is al never took himself too seriously in a town where everybody takes themselves and puts themselves on
4: pedestals,
0: Al never took himself serious. And and I and I always remember once in a while he would sit there and he would bring up on the show, you know, you know, we would talk about political allies, and he would always bring up Harry Truman's quote: "If you want a friend in Washington, go get a." Al was the best dog we had. And uh, the nation mourns the loss of a true statesman. A family, the Swift family, mourns the loss of a of a great grandfather, a grandfather, a father, a husband. Uh, jelly's back room loses a devoted customer, and we lost a colleague. But more so than more. This nation mourns the loss of a truly great statesman. That's all I got. So on behalf of uh, – sorry about this, guys. I apologize, but this one's hard. On behalf of Ellen Moore, Sam uh Dan Lipner, special thanks, obviously, to Audrey Howerton. I do have to make one confession. Al never took himself too seriously, and he always loved a good hidden joke. I have to admit something. I have done this entire segment from the Woodrow Wilson rest stop on the New Jersey Turnpike in New Jersey, and I know that if he heard that, he would be laughing hysterical and I'd hear that laugh barrel throughout 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 the car. So Congress now, enjoy that one. But uh special thanks Audrey Howard. We will be back next Tuesday for the Best Political talk Show that you've ever heard uh, of. This has been back from politics live from all over the East Coast. Have a great week America